From CITI Program, I'm Darren Gaddis, and this is On Campus. Today, what is universal design? How does accessible infrastructure make a campus more accommodating? And what role do administrators, faculty, and students play in making a campus infrastructure more inclusive? I spoke with Amanda Krauss, Assistant Vice President for Campus Life and Executive Director for Disability Resources at the University of Arizona. She is also Associate Professor of Practice in Higher Education, where she teaches courses on student services and disability. Dr. Krauss is the immediate past president for the Association of Higher Education and Disability, AHED, and she travels around the country and abroad to give talks on ableism and universal design. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to provide legal advice or guidance. You should consult with your organization's attorneys if you have questions or concerns about relevant laws and regulations discussed in this podcast. Additionally, the views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the presenter. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Darren. Thanks so much for having me. To get us started, what is universal design? Well, a definition of universal design is the design of products and environments to be usable by all people to the greatest extent possible without the need for modification or specialized design. And it it was really born out of architecture and and design, um, though it has, I think, really important implications outside of those arenas. And Amanda, to take that a step further, how does universal design for campus infrastructure maybe differ from universal design for a course? I think that's a good question. Um, I would say it it may differ in, you know, in how it looks, but the values and the spirit of universal design would be the same. So there are seven principles to universal design, and I'll just share them quickly. Equitable use flexibility in use, simple and intuitive use, perceptible information, tolerance for error, low physical effort, and size and space for approach and use. So as I read those out or as I share those, I think we can get a sense that we're really trying to promote inclusion and equity with universal design. So again, the outcome might be different. For the campus infrastructure, we might be really looking at the built environment or the physical environment, um, which may be apparent in things like ramps or wide paths of travel or options in seating or parking and things like that. Um, In a course, it would still be, you know, about options. It would still be about equity, looking at the course design figuring out what is essential in that course, and then designing ways that more people can access it. So without compromising anything essential, what are the different ways to design something so that more people can use it the same way? And with this in mind, what are some ways institutions can utilize universal design principles, those seven principles you just mentioned, into their infrastructure? a lot of ways. Um, Relationships are important, I should say. Um, So if we're really looking at campus infrastructure, you know, you might look to your planning, design, or construction area. You might look at facilities management as 
some strategic colleagues, right, to to build a relationship with. So it might be working together if you are with disability resources, you know, working with those colleagues on plans for construction or major renovation, working together to consult on plans for events, working with event planners, I think is a really important way to uh, to build UD or universal design into infrastructure. Another really specific example is, you know, if your institution has design standards, so if there's something published or guidelines that your planning and design, you know, teams will look to, you know, maybe you you use that as a way to embed universal design into that planning. So looking at those guidelines, um, making sure that you know, that they exceed the Americans with Disabilities Act guidelines. So we're not really just looking at basic compliance, but you're exceeding that ground floor. You're exceeding the legal requirement to promote more inclusion and to promote more universal design. So I think it's always great when you can systematize something. So if you build UD into an important set of guidelines, you know, I think that's bound to make an impact on on campus infrastructure. And how does making campus infrastructure more accessible in turn make a campus more accommodating for all students? Yeah, I really appreciate that question because again, universal design comes from architecture. It comes from design. It doesn't come from the disability community or the disability rights movement. Although I think disabled people are inordinately impacted by good or bad design. So you know, really it comes down to equity, I think. When we invite students to campus, you know, they've been admitted by the same standards. They're held to the same academic and behavioral standards once they're admitted and enrolled. You know, so why do some students have a better or worse experience with campus, with the accessibility of campus infrastructure? You know, that's an equity issue. So I think when we're looking at universal design and trying to proactively remove barriers, ultimately what we're saying is everyone's welcome here and everyone's going to have the same experience with this space or with this event or with this you know, class um, as everyone else. So it, you know, the benefits of universal design, I think, you know, it doesn't advantage or disadvantage anyone. It doesn't stigmatize a certain group. And really the reality of our you know, campuses today is that students are diverse. I think we learned that, you know, over and over again in the last few years with COVID, that people have a lot of different characteristics that impact the way they learn and work and teach. Um, and we don't know who's going to enter any given academic building or classroom or event space at any given moment. So it's very important to plan for the most diverse group of users. And universal design, you know, has some really good strategies to help us think bigger about who may be engaging with, in this case, campus infrastructure, but it could be anything, an event, a class, you know, et cetera. Amanda, today you've spoken a lot about how universal design is closely connected to architecture, but in what ways does universal design go beyond that? It's another good question. Um, you know, as a disabled person myself and as a wheelchair user, for me, I think a lot about choice and how sometimes my choices are limited by design. And I think that is true, certainly for me in the built environment, 
but for others in other environments. So if we're looking outside of infrastructure and looking more at curricular design or the classroom, again, it, it's it's what are those values that we want to be promoting? And I think we would want to promote diversity and inclusion. We do want people to feel welcome, not just tolerated um, in our classrooms. So, you know, you can think about just any way that students navigate campus, that students spend their time on campus. A lot of times, you know, that's in the classroom, but also there's I mean, huge community, you know, social gatherings, events, things like that. And I would say that the design of all of these features really do communicate something, right? They, they communicate um, the institution's assumptions, I would say, about who they were expecting you know, who they assumed would be a student here or an attendee at the event. And, you know, there are lots of ways that design can actively and passively communicate to you that you are or are not welcome in a space. And, you know, that's really what it what it comes down to, I think, is who were we planning for? Who do we want here? Who do we make feel welcome here? You know, there's any number of design choices that go into to decision making and event planning and course design you know, at, at any point along the way, we as designers, we as faculty, we can all be asking ourselves, you know, with the choices that I have, how can I make this the most inclusive, the most barrier-free experience? And I think that process, you know, will lead to a better outcome and that outcome will make people feel welcome. And it's like, it's not just about feeling welcome. It's about being able to do everything together to have the same level of choice, the same feelings of support. You know, when I said earlier, when I was um, listing out the uh, seven principles of universal design, I mentioned low physical effort. But, you know, I think we could just say low effort. You know, you might be, um, you might, you might think low emotional effort, low energetic toll. You know, if you're navigating a space and you just feel like this is not made for me, there's a lot of burden associated with that. It could be about planning where you can actually go and be comfortable. It could be responding to any number of cues in the environment about where you should be or who should be present. And that does take a toll. So I think in many ways, design can really contribute to microaggressions. But the flip side of that is good inclusive design, I think, can also uh, reduce or potentially eliminate microaggressions or similar kinds of inequities and make people feel a real part of that experience. What else should we know about universal design? You know, I mean, there's a lot to know about universal design. You know, there's lots of good information about each of the principles. Um, You know, you can search for them online to get guidelines and images and really practical strategies. There's also a number of applications of universal design you know, like we've talked about, it's not just about the built environment or campus infrastructure, but there are offshoots of UD to be applied in the classroom and in your teaching. So you can look at universal design for learning as one, I think, really prevalent um, application of UD. And that really can guide the way we design our courses to promote multiple means of representation So how do I represent content? I'm trying to do that in different ways. Multiple means of engagement. So 
when I'm um, asking students to participate and engage with me and one another, are there different ways that they can do that? And then multiple means of expression when students are required to demonstrate or express what they've learned, are there different ways for them to do that? So even though it looks different, I still believe that the values are shared between universal design and, and its applications. Again, really trying to promote, I would say not just inclusion, but equity. And I think sometimes in my work, when people do feel um, that maybe universal design is too big a goal, can we think about equity and use universal design strategies or universal design principles to help us create a more equitable experience? Amanda, as always, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It was a fun conversation. Be sure to follow, like, and subscribe to On Campus with CITI program to stay in the know. I also invite you to review our content offerings regularly as we are continually adding new courses and webinars that may be of interest to you. All of our content is available to you anytime through organizational and individual subscriptions. You may also be interested in CITI programs, a 21st century approach to ADA compliance, equity and access webinar. Please visit the CITI programs website to learn more about all of our offerings.